ESPN Daily is presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA 23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. Hi, it's Jeremy Schapp. Today's show is going to be a little something different. In honor of Father's Day this Sunday, we're bringing you a conversation between ESPN senior writer Swan Tai and Luke Russer. Russert lost his father, the legendary journalist Tim Russert, 15 years ago. Luke's new book, among other things, explores the bond he shared with his father through their love of sports. Here's today's show, and happy Father's Day. So I'm just going to start with a very simple question, Luke. Can you just tell everybody who you are and what you've been up to? Uh, my name's Luke Russert. I'm 37 years old and just wrote a book called Look for Me There, Grieving My Father and Finding Myself. And it's a book that mainly talks about a journey I went on to process the grief of losing dad, which is something that I had never really done. My father was Tim Russert, the longtime moderator of Meet the Press, who died of a heart attack at age 58 on June 13th of 2008. And I never fully grieved my father because while I very much was aware that my father, the forward-facing moderator of Meet the Press, had passed away, I don't think I fully appreciated how much dad, my best friend, my guiding light, uh, was actually, in fact, gone and that the future was not anything of which I imagined it. And so much of the book relates to this bond you and your dad form over sports. Can you tell us a little bit about the title and what it means to you? So the title stems from when I was nine years old. I went with my father to Oriole Park at Camden Yards in Baltimore. And it was a very hot mid-Atlantic humid summer day. And we were walking through the concourse and it was very crowded and he was holding my hand and we got separated. And I fell behind him about 10 to 15 yards, but he never lost sight of me. And he turned around, worked his way back through the crowd, and he put his arm around my shoulder and he grasped my hand and he said, listen, if we're ever separated, just look for me there. And he pointed to a hot dog stand with the Oreo bird on it. But then he pulled me close and said, we'll never be separated. And when I was coming up with the title, I knew immediately, instinctually, that's it. And it was born out of that love of sports. And when I go to uh, Oriel Park at Camden Yards, I always, I always look at the old seats we used to have and can see the silhouette, can see the ghosts. For much of his life, Luke Russert felt like he was growing up in the shadow of his late father political journalist and moderator of Meet the Press, Tim Russert. After pursuing journalism himself, Luke decided to confront the pain of his loss and go on a journey of self-discovery. Through his travels around the world, he saw signs of his father at places like a baseball stadium in Hiroshima and the Western Wall. So today, Luke joins the show to talk about life, loss, and the powerful connection sports creates between children and parents. 
and what it would mean for the Bills to finally win a Super Bowl. I'm Swan Tai. It's Friday, June 16th. This is ESPN Daily. Luke, your dad, Tim Russert, is probably one of the most famous Buffalo Bills fans of all time. There was something I saw trending on Twitter recently about the Mount Rushmore of Bills fans. And if they were to create one, your dad would have to be on it. For the city of Buffalo and for all the underdogs in this country and around the world, go you Buffalo Bills. Sorry about those Bills, but how about those Sabres? Go Bills, squish the fish, hold the emails. I know dolphins are mammals, but, you know, squish the fish. Why did this team mean so much to your dad? The Bills and Buffalo are forever intertwined. And no team personifies a community like the Buffalo Bills do. And my father uh, was a fan of the team since their inception. He often bragged about how he went to their two AFL titles before they merged with the NFL in the early 60s. Just a diehard fan of the Buffalo Bills. When DirecTV came out in the early 90s, we were the first family in Washington, D.C. to get it because my father wanted to watch the bills. We had to have a guy drive in from two hours out of the city to install it. And my father, when he could watch the bills at home on a satellite dish, was a very happy morning in our home uh, that Sunday, I remember distinctly. And I think for him, the bills represented an ability to stay connected to Buffalo. He moved on, moved to a different city, and had a career I don't think he ever dreamed. But the Bills kept him grounded, and it allowed him the ability to call up all his friends at Buffalo, keep the connection alive with his brother-in-law and with his father. It was always about the Bills right out the, right out the gate. And I think that he realized the value in that. And it was, it was sort of uncommon at that time to root for your sports teams on the airways. There was still that sort of Cronkite, Edward R. Murrow, the very serious newsman. But my father prided himself on being relatable. And he loved the Bills. If it's Sunday, it's meet the press. And oh, yes, go Bills. And I don't think he could keep it inside. And so now it's in God's hands. God is good. God is just. Please, God, make three a charm. Our time has come. Go Bills. My father in Bills games, you know, every single Sunday I watch the Bills because those three and a half hours, he's still alive. And you can go back to those moments in time. You can smell the chicken wings. You can smell the beer. You can hear the cursing. You can feel all those moments of sitting on that couch just coming together father and son, but bonding over something that honestly is the representation of that beautiful city. There's no team that has a stronger bond with community than Buffalo Bills. And I tell people, it's it's so amazing. People say, oh my gosh, people just don't get how big the Bills are. And I said, it's true, but it's not just the Bills. It's that relationship you build with your parents or your loved ones through sports. And that's something that you can't replicate most anywhere else. What do those games mean to you? I mean, you and I have talked about it a little bit, but those three and a half hours of a football game and the nine innings of a baseball game, what was that like for you and your dad? The most important thing I feel that a parent can give their children is time. And as it pertains to sports, that's very honest time because you have the time of the game, you have the time to and from, 
I mean, the thing I liked just as much as going to the game were the car rides to go to the game because that was just catching up on, on the week. And then as it pertained to football, it was so fun because there's constantly you know, calling my uncles or calling my cousins as, to get them involved with, with Buffalo. And so there is that familial aspect to it. But I think what was so special, more so than anything else, was that it's something, especially fandom, that you carry forward. So you know, my dad's gone, but I still carry the Buffalo Bills, right? And God willing, I have a kid someday, and they carry on the Buffalo Bills. They're not allowed to be Patriots fans under any circumstances. Oh, absolutely not. Nor Dolphins. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's that sort of it's that sort of passion that you can share which is so deeply meaningful. It really is. In your book, you write about traveling the world, looking to find yourself and finally coming to terms with the loss of your father. Um, One of the places you write about is Kyoto and how even in that ancient city, you felt the pull of your roots. Can you take us back to that moment in your journey? So you reference a story where you go through these gates in Japan and you have this up, you know, the famous orange gates in Kyoto, and you have this opportunity to offer up a prayer to the the deity of the mountain. And it's your one shot. And I was like, well, Bills win the Super Bowl. That's all I want. And part of that, you think about like, and I choke up now talking about it. It's like, well, what does that mean? It's like just elation, like all those years, all that trauma just off the shoulders of an entire community. And then all those ghosts are celebrating. When I was doing the audiobook, the only time that we had to do multiple takes because I was choking up was talking about the Bills winning the Super Bowl. And speaking of the divine, you write about another experience in Jerusalem. What happened to you there? I write about this at the end of the book. Um, after I started writing I realized that I was missing something. There was a voice in my head that said, you got to go to the Holy Land. You can't have seen the world and not gone to the Holy Land. You should end this where it all started, in theory, where these three religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all stem from this one little area, basically the size of a small shopping mall. That's how small Jerusalem is. And so I went there, and I was seeking some form of clarity. And I go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is Christ's tomb, and it's very heavy, intense place and everything. And I basically go there looking to have a cathartic moment. And I have a deeply profound spiritual experience, but I'm still a little bit lost. But as I walk out of that church, and I'm sort of trying to figure out what to do or to look for a sign, all the stores are basically closed because it's night, but there's a guy on the street selling a Buffalo Bills yarmulke. <laughs> I just go, you gotta be kidding me. That's so wild. That's so I so grab the yarmulke and then I go to the Western Wall and I won't give away the end of the book because I would like people to check it out. But essentially that's a, a, a monumental moment for me uh, from the, with the Buffalo Bills yarmulke at the uh, Western Wall. Up next, how Luke plans to spend Father's Day thinking of his dad. Picture this. You arrive at your hotel. You have an important online meeting lined up with clients from all across the country. You have your laptop open, ready to begin. 
and the Wi-Fi is so terrible you can't even connect. These type of stressful situations happen all the time, but they don't have to. When you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you have access to their free high-speed Wi-Fi. So you can take care of those critical emails, join your meetings on time, and even unwind by streaming your favorite shows without having to worry. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. So, Luke, you close the book with a letter to your dad saying you'll be there if the Bills win a Super Bowl. You also talk about the last game you went to with your dad, which was the Nets home opener. What do you remember about that night you had? So, yeah, the last game we ever went to together was opening night at Nationals Ballpark. They opened in late March of 2008. It's baseball's opening night, and here in Washington, it's the presidential opener with all of the attendant ceremony, pomp, circumstance. The big crowd is gathering in this beautiful new yard, and a festive night in Washington is here for sure. I'll never forget, it was a very cold night uh, in in early spring in Washington, and the Nationals were playing the Braves, and President Bush threw out the first pitch. And here to throw out the inaugural pitch at Nationals Park to mark a new era of Washington baseball, the President of the United States. We're right behind the visiting dugout. Uh, and Ryan Zimmerman ended up winning the game on a, a walk-off home run. Belted. Deep left center. The ball game is over. Ryan Zimmerman has delivered the happy ending for the Nationals in the first game in their beautiful new ballpark. Ryan Zimmerman with a game-ending home run. And it was incredibly special. Uh, we were there to witness that. And I'm fortunate enough to still sit in the same seats. You know, sometimes I go to the games by myself and people will say, oh, you know, why do you go by yourself? I said, because I enjoy it. It's therapeutic for me. It's cathartic. And I keep my father's seat open. And I like doing that. I like to relive that that one game that I, I had with them here. It's special to me. What was your favorite sports memory with your dad? My favorite memory with my father is actually an interesting one. It was in 1999, we went to the Final Four in St. Petersburg, Florida. And that was a Duke team that had only lost one game all year, and they were playing UConn. Began as the most turbulent and tumultuous first two rounds ever, as the two teams everyone wanted in the title game, and Duke has it first. And it was one of the greatest upsets of all time. But I remember we were walking into the stadium, and it was the baseball stadium where the Rays play now, and they configured it for basketball. And Nobody gave UConn a chance to win. And I'm, we were walking in and my dad's like, I think UConn's going to win. I said, no, they're not. He's like, dad, I think they have a good chance. And we had always cheered against Duke growing up because I think Duke was sort of the anti-Buffalo to my father. And so we we're cheering for UConn and UConn pulled off the upset. And I just remember him distinctly looking at me like, you got to believe. Pressure from Jones, Langdon, Trips, and UConn is done. 
We shot the world. Folks, you gotta believe because just when people say you can't, you can't. Yeah, that was really cool. That's awesome. That's fantastic. I mean, he and you were talking about the gift of time because he would, you know, he's obviously the for, you know mo moderator of Meet the Press, which is very time consuming. But when you and yeah. I were talking, you mentioned how he would carve out time and make work fit your sports schedules. So one of the things that he was adamant about was he always wanted to be present at my games, whether it was baseball or football or basketball. And sometimes it was hilarious because I'd be like, you know, dad, this is an exhibition game. Like, seriously, don't worry about it. We're three hours away from DC. Like, it's not a big deal. He's like, no, no, no I got to be there. I got to be there. I got to be there. It's like, okay. And so he would orchestrate his schedule as much as possible around games. And when I was in Little League, sometimes he was like coach third base. And a few times even would take a, a call from someone very important while coaching third base and oh just hang up on them for the game, which was great. But when we, uh, when I was playing high school baseball, we would do a spring training trip down to Florida and he would figure out ways to get an interview within Florida politics to justify going down there for a period of time. So, oh, I just have to interview the governor of Florida. And I think the senator from Florida or this individual in Florida is going to be big on the national scene. I should get down there and interview them. And, and the team loved it. We loved it. And he would go to these small towns in Florida and, and hang out at the family barbecues and, and chat people up. And that was very special. It was very special to have, have dad there and being so intertwined with the team. Wrapping up, I want to ask you about Father's Day, which this one will be 15 years yeah. since your dad passed. You write how the 10-year anniversary was particularly difficult and emotional. Has it changed for you at all with your journey these last few years? How is it going to feel for you? Well, that's a good question. I think one of the things you see in the journey is that I gravitate towards places of comfort. And sports is often a place of comfort. So I write in the book about seeing the remnants of the atomic bomb in Hiroshima, Japan, and then ending up in a Hiroshima carp baseball game, because that brings me joy. I write about going to the World Cup in Russia and seeing a Russian father and son connecting and sitting in those seats and imagining a moment between my father and I. And that type of relationship exists around the world. And I think back at that because what I realize is that on those days that are difficult, put yourself in positions of joy or places of joy, whether it's going to that baseball game or remembering all those happy, wonderful times. And that's what I'll do on Father's Day. It's one of those things where I used to probably sit in the emotions of, oh gosh, he's gone, but now I'm much more at a place of, wow, I'm so appreciative for the 22 years that I had. And then most importantly, the last thing in the world that he would ever want me to do is to be so sad and upset all the time. I mean, I think that's something that we come to realize after years and after sitting in grief is that he would want you to be happy. He would want you to have that sausage, have that beer, cheer on the nationals and toast him. And that's a good day.
Well, I think the only way to end this now is to say go Bills. Go Bills. That's right. <laughs> Thank you go so Bills. much. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Coming up, Jeremy Schapp on Father's Day and baseball. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Welcome back to ESPN Daily. I'm Jeremy Schapp. When I was eight years old, my father, the sports reporter Dick Schapp, took me to game six of the 1977 World Series at Yankee Stadium. It was October 18th, 1977, to be precise. My father had no way of knowing but it would be the defining experience of my childhood and maybe my life. Three home runs on three consecutive pitches. Reggie, what could possibly top that? In a story in the New York Times a few months later, my father put it this way. My son saw Reggie Jackson hit three home runs in game six. I saw Reggie Jackson hit one home run. At the time of Jackson's second home run, I was standing in line behind Carmen Barra, Yogi's wife, waiting to buy popcorn for my son. And at the time of the third, I was getting him a Coke to wash down the popcorn. The next day, my son said, nobody's had a game like that in the World Series since the Babe in 1928. Until then, my son's interest in sports had been casual. Suddenly, he was a baseball junkie. He was right. And a few months later, he took me to spring training, which was a dream come true. And I got to meet some of baseball's greats, like Pete Rose. How many more years do you think you're going to be in baseball? Uh, I hope maybe uh, 700 more hits. I don't look at it as years. I play, I play every year for hits. 35 more hits out 34. 34? 34. 34. Oh. And you're one of the official scores taken away. Clemente for sure. Yeah, he got 3,000 exactly. 46 years later, not much has changed. Not about me, probably not about Pete. But being a baseball fan is about more than an obsession with its beauty, its nuances, and history. Baseball connects those who are enthralled to it, not only to the game itself, but to each other. It's the same in other sports, of course, but more so in baseball, and especially when it comes to families. 
In baseball, there is that powerful thread, the tissue that binds fathers to sons to their sons and so on. It's no coincidence then that the game at its highest level is absolutely teeming with second and even third generation players. To some extent, this has always been true. Exceptional players such as George Sisler, Pedro Cepeda, Gus Bell, Ray Boone, and Jim Hegan all had sons who would become Major League All-Stars. And in Cepeda's case, a son who would become the second Puerto Rican enshrined in the Hall of Fame. Through baseball, I built a name for myself. Through baseball, I opened the gate for more Puerto Rican, black Puerto Rican, to come to this country and play ball for a living. The two greatest players of the final decade of the 20th century were both second-generation All-Stars, Barry Bonds and Ken Griffey Jr. Jr. even got to play with his father. We had back-to-back home runs. We're the first father and son to win MVPs in an All-Star game. I spent eight years with the Reds. I got to put on the same uniform as my dad, run around the same outfield. As a member of the Reds, I was often teased by my teammates saying that my dad played for the big red machine and you're the engineer to the little red caboose. Barry Bonds, meanwhile, had a more complicated and troubled relationship with his father, Bobby. I just wanted to prove to my dad I could do it on my own. I wanted to prove to him I'm going to do it by myself. I'm going to do it without you. I'm going to do it on my own. And I think that's, I think that fueled the determination on me to really do what I'm doing. After the Bondses and Griffies, there are the Fielders. Between them, Cecil Fielder and Prince Fielder were named to nine all-star teams. They're the only father-son duo to each have slammed 50 home runs in a season. Cecil hit a total of 319 home runs. Prince hit 319 home runs. That's a lot of dingers. 638, actually. But still 124 fewer than Barry Bonds on his own. And 456 fewer than the total slam by Barry and Bobby together. My dad. Thank you. These days, perhaps inspired by the Griffey and Bonds and Fielder examples, we're smack dab in the middle of baseball's multi-generational golden age. It seems that never before have there been so many sons of big leaguers in the big leagues. How many? 22 players who've appeared in games in 2023 are second generation, including some of the most dynamic young stars in the sport, like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. One big swing by Vladdy, an absolute no-doubter from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Fernando Tatis Jr. Fernando Tatis Jr. doing it again. So much fun to watch. And Bo, son of Dante Bichette. A home run for Bo Bichette. Former MVP Cody Bellinger is the son of Clay Bellinger. And on and on. Look in the Yankees dugout, and there you'll find the scion of one of baseball's first families. Former All-Star Aaron Boone. Brother of All-Star Brett. Son of All-Star Bob. Grandson of All-Star Ray. Growing up, going to Veterans Stadium every game, I was the kid sitting in the walkway behind home plate 
in our seats, like locked in on the game. The one thing I know and have lived and am is baseball. I've been doing this my entire life. Yes, the final round of golf's U.S. Open typically coincides with Father's Day. But in baseball, it's Father's Day all through the season. As in golf, but few other sports, the pace of the game, even now with the pitch clock, means that when we watch it together, we have time to connect with each other. In an increasingly frenetic world, baseball invites us to take a moment. And of course, baseball is also different than the other team sports because we experience it mostly in summer. And it is tied up with all that the season itself offers us. When we're more likely to be spending time with our parents and our children to be outdoors, to indulge in some serenity. Baseball, in other words, by virtue of all these different elements, is the ultimate family game. For me, it's about my grandfathers and my father, the sixth game in 1977 and all that magic. My son is 10 and he isn't the baseball fan that I was. He likes, he doesn't love the game. But we're still in the early innings. Maybe we'll share a moment like Reggie's three home runs. And it will spark something. I just hope I'm not in line for soda or popcorn when it happens. I'm Jeremy Schapp, and this has been ESPN Daily. Our show is produced by Bradford Craig, Alexander Hyacinth, Mike Johns, Heather Lombardo, Ryan Nantel, Michael Philbrick, Andre Soto, Andy Tennant, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks this week to Deontay Epps, Howie Lutt, David Saronic, and Jackson Agello. We'll talk to you Monday.